This is the Innovation Engine podcast from Three Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm your host and Three Pillars Chief Evangelist, Scott Barho, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Rob Murray. Rob is the industry leader for Three Pillars Banking and Financial Services Industry Vertical. And he comes to us with more than a decade in senior leadership roles, driving digital transformation for large commercial banks, such as Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Rob, thrilled to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well and super excited to be here, Scott. So thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, let, let's start, dive right in and let's uh, let's talk about the state of the industry. Banking and financial services is, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunities, but as well as challenges and, and threats. How do you, how do you see those uh, in the in in your space? Yeah, well, you know, it's a pretty broad question, and uh, really a really a good bit to unpack there, right? It's it's certainly interesting. It's certainly an exciting time in in banking and financial services. Uh, I'm no economist uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, nor do I play one on TV. Uh, but the word that comes to mind when I take a step back and look at the industry as a whole is resilient. Um, right. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of mixed signals out there. You know, the the Fed just recently had a, a 25 basis point hike. Um, there's a potential for maybe one more at the end of the year. Um, and despite that, the economy continues to grow. The economy overall is reasonably strong. So if you think about consumer spending still being positive, unemployment mm-hmm. rate is low. Inflation is, uh, you know, on the decline. We just kind of weathered through the banking crisis with SVB. Um, certainly, it was impactful, but it wasn't catastrophic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, right. It was relatively contained. The system, I think, to an extent, worked as as designed, and folks didn't panic. And so, I think the biggest impact from that was maybe some tightening uh, of some credit conditions for uh, some of our our uh, uh, companies. You know, company uh, small companies trying to to secure loans or what have you by far the impacts could have been way worse worse mm-hmm. i think you look at it, uh the second half uh uh h2 or i'm sorry h1 earnings you know with all those economic headwinds uh you know the the earnings were were mixed but relatively strong we'll we'll see in q3 and then you look at kind of mm-hmm. the fintech space right there's certainly compression within the fintech space as venture capital and private equity dollars dried up uh you know it's really showing which startups which startups are good stewards of their investors' money, right? Can mm-hmm. they weather the storm? And it'll be those startups that will likely see additional funding as we come out of the this time of uncertainty. So I think, you know, overall, mm-hmm. you know, I think the word is resilient. Uh, you know, you know, certainly there's the biggest concern or that I see is is the, the uncertainty that lies ahead of us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, will we will we still avoid recession? Uh, will inflation continue to s- decline? Will the job market hold steady? Um, and then selfishly, will will companies begin to be more uh, bullish on their on their spending for things like technology and software as a mm-hmm. service and those types of things that impact us certainly as an organization? Well, and clearly, you know, banking and financial services are um, in any capitalist economy really important for allocating capital, keeping capital moving towards the most productive purposes. I, I did study economics, unfortunately. So, um, and I actually wrote my thesis on on banking reform. Um, but if you're a leader at at a at a bank, commercial, consumer, or investment, 
you have to think beyond the economic conditions because those will go up and down. Um, but your trajectory and your place in that market is one that has to have a strategy that sort of transcends market conditions, even though results will will move up and down with those, with all the factors that you just talked about, things that are temporal. So how do you, I mean, in, in the conversations that you're having with banking leaders, um, what are what are some of the big opportunities that they see in their in their space? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I recently was speaking actually internally uh, on this a bit. And what um, I, I, although everything that you say is valid and true, and I think for many of our CFOs, it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that, that, that allocate. They have to report markets. those earnings. <laughs> exactly right. And so um, they're, they're uh, hesitant and cautious. What we saw, you know, really coming out of 2022 into 23 was a really, you know, folks were very cautious at the very least flat with their spending, um, if not uh, pulling back a bit. And, and, Hmm. and so uh, that, that indicates to me that there's just those uncertainties that the CFOs weren't willing uh, to make as a whole, weren't willing to make those bets. There were some uh, city comes to mind, a couple others that were more aggressive and bullish in their spending, specifically within technology, you know, technology space and digital and those types of things. And I think mm-hmm. they'll reap the rewards long term. But right. I think as a whole, there was a, a, a rather significant pullback. However, um, I think based on some recent conversations, I think there's a, a bit of a change in mood. There's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, just to keep the lights on, right? Keep infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, supported and those types of things. Uh, before you can, in many cases, even talk about innovation. And so uh, we're beginning to hear uh, mutterings, I think, of a, a little bit of a change of attitude. Hmm. Well, that's that's interesting because, yeah, it is, especially in banking, though clearly other industries uh, similarly, but, but in banking, it's really important to keep that compliance, that shift left conversation that's happening out there. And how do you take compliance deeper into the development processes as they do more and more things online, more mobile banking, that kind of stuff? They have to be very thoughtful about hygiene um, and compliance on an, on a much deeper um, le- level than they have necessarily in the past, um, and especially to stay competitive against. You know, I, one of the most striking things to me about financial services industry these days is the rise of of all of these small players. So, in the investment banking side, we've got Wealthfront, Robo Traders, right, like Wealthfront and Betterment. In the uh, payment space, like Venmo, Cash App, Zelle. So. You know, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like, so other than partnering with these companies and bringing them into their own ecosystems, the way you know I, I've watched as a Bank of America client, Zell, uh, be inside the Bank of America ecosystem, right? What are some other ways that that um, they can fend off these nimble incumbents? Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. Um, you know, as I think through your question, Scott, much of what you mentioned, especially the latter part of your question really sits in the payment and money movement space. And you think about mm-hmm. Zelle. Uh, Zelle is unique because it was ideated and built by the large banks, right? Through their mm-hmm. investment in EWS. I don't think I knew that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so they, you know, so, and sometimes that's lost, right? Because the, they had the foresight to build the platform. And in many ways, I, and I would argue that they led innovation in this space. Because mm-hmm. um, and because it, it was the competition that developed because of Zelle that created, you know, Cash App and PayPal and, and those types of things. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I really look at it uh, as an opportunity 
uh, you know, uh, opportunity in the space, especially if you look at PayPal, Cash App, and Square, it's kind of, they're kind of bank agnostic to a certain extent. They don't That's care right. what bank that you use, right? And so uh, they, they'd like you to work. If you have a, an account with them, they'd like you to use your their kind of deposit-like account. But the, the ambiguity to it is, is attractive to, to many. The other side I would see um, is there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to a certain extent in the payment, uh, or not the payment, the, uh, the consumer lending space. If you mm. think about organizations like SoFi, Lending Club, and Prosper, their risk profiles are different, right? Their ease of mm. application and processes in many cases are better. A speed of funding is significantly faster. They meet mm. a, likely a meeting significant need with a population of customers that, that were likely underserved. So, so mm-hmm. you take, you impact. Or, or worse, we're, pre- we're served in a predatory fashion by payday lenders and things like things of these, the, these nature. Exactly right. And so as you mm. think, as I think through it from an incumbent standpoint and fending off fintechs, I think it's, it's more of a, maybe a, a multi-pronged strategy, right? It's, it's less about fending them off and embracing and learning, right? What is it mm. about those digital products, the services, their experiences that are attracting customers and that not only attracting, right, but then they're adopting, utilizing, and the key here is they continue to utilize, right? Uh-huh. And so certainly there may be an acquisition play to it, but it's sure. the, at the end of the day, I think it's it's about learning from their experiences. That's right. Well, I, I think there's a, there's something really savvy about that. Is is you know it's kind of like the the lines in the grass, right, and where you put the sidewalks in the park. You know, turns out it's better to go you know to pave where they actually walk and not try to force them into into your sidewalks. Um, but exactly but it's right. a great it's a great opportunity for banks to learn about the consumer expectations, uh, behaviors, and things that they're looking for, and try to derive lessons from from them and their success. One other place I've seen this really successful, AWS does this extremely well. They have an ecosystem, and there's a ton of players that make all their money managing AWS or running tooling off of AWS and, and all kinds of things. And then slowly AWS will pick up and internalize some of those, those capabilities, uh, say, you know, kind of doing the same thing and, and expanding then their reach and their, their offerings more broadly. In hindsight, so I spent some time leading the online acquisition funnel for personal lines and loans for one of the larger banks. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, as we were trying to build and grow and drive, um, you know, improve customer experience and those types of things, you know, looking at those other lenders, uh, SoFi and, and, and Prosper and those types of things was, was something that we looked at. What, what about their experiences? Uh, what about it uh, was attractive, you know, attractive to uh, customers? Now, some of it, as I mentioned before, had, you know, th- there were specific risk profiles that we, you know, we were, had to align to that maybe were a bit different than than some of the other lenders, but uh, but still, their experiences is absolutely something. You know, how do you how do you build a one page application, for example, or or something to that effect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. So a- another big um, meteor in the in the financial services space uh, has has been blockchain. Um, it continues to be in the news, um, although not not in the same way it was a few years back. So. I'm curious to hear your viewpoint. Is, is blockchain a fad that has has run its course, uh, or is it is it actually finding its product market fit and and uh, starting to deliver on its promise? Yeah, 
really interesting question. Um, <laughs> and I think I believe the latter. Break out the crystal ball. Yeah, right. I think <laughs> yeah. I believe the latter. You know, I think blockchain has a ton of upside. For me, uh, and this is my kind of just personal viewpoint, it's less about crypto and currencies and, and the reason and the rationale that it was initially to develop or developed. But I think through some other use cases, and and there's an example that I, I typically point to, and I think it's back in 2019, and I believe they're still utilizing it today. Bank of China began utilizing blockchain for several non-crypto related services. And so in hmm. particular, the one that's really fascinating to me is real estate, right? And and they were using it to drive uh-huh. several key business objectives. And, and, and if you think about... Um, the, the rigor around legal documentation and the need, uh, the, you know, there's this big opportunity, right, to make it cheaper, quicker, reduce operating costs, uh, increase the efficiencies of processes. And I think uh, many folks are seeing success or at least uh, huge opportunity, opportunities for blockchain from that perspective. So mm-hmm. um, so I think, you know, uh, that many agree the technology hasn't come and gone as, as maybe the, you know, your first part of the indication indicates. but you know, I think folks are really ideating now on how we might be able to use it uh, for things outside of of cryptocurrencies. And I think that's uh, and then how we might execute. Right. And that's probably more than anything. Uh, how do we execute upon it in the regulatory environment that we spoke of uh, earlier? So I, I'm excited about blockchain. I think there's like I said, I mm-hmm. think there's use cases. I think the most uh, interesting one or at least one of the more interesting ones is is um, uh, utilization. Uh, in in real estate and real estate acquisitions and, and sales. Well, and you you make a really good point. I mean, they, the blockchain has become synonymous with crypto, but its original intent was distributed ledgers and con- settling contracts. And you right. think about real estate. Real estate's the first time I learned the word escrow. You know, and it's all about like, hey, if both sides do everything they're supposed to, the escrow company will release the funds to the uh, to the seller if all the conditions are met. And uh, and which is sort of fascinating to me that these companies existed that just held on to the money in between and checked that both sides did what they said they were going to do and then then release money. But blockchain has a real chance to disintermediate that that uh, that Absolutely. transaction. Um, and and no and then and then you don't need trust. Uh, you don't need a trusted third party. You need you know you you can trust the blockchain. It'll it'll you know check all the all these things and then it's a distributed ledger, so it's really hard to cheat. Um, yeah, it'll take us some time, I think, to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's a model that's been developed that that uh, a blueprint that uh, that folks can likely likely leverage. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be a bit. Uh, it'll be some time uh, for us yep. to get there. But I absolutely think there's a use case for it. Or if well, we, and it's, it's just level. it's so interesting to watch that the the crypto hype cycle um, has both benefited and just you know damaged blockchains potential. Um, so hopefully, as exactly as you highlight, we get past that and we start to get back to blockchain and what what its what its original purpose was was these distributed ledgers, distributed computing, trust through distribution rather than other other means that we have traditionally used. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting, and and I, I agree with you. I think that, that blockchain's got a future. One of my favorite parts of of hosting this is I get to hear stories, uh, good stories about what clients are doing. And so if I was asked to ask you to tell a, a customer story that enca- encapsulates the art of the possible in, in this industry, what would, what would that story be? I think there's two that come to mind. And one, mm-hmm. quite frankly, Scott, you may be a little more familiar with than I am. It's just, it's, it's top of mind. 
just because it was uh, the use case was presented to me uh, the latter part of last week, I believe, or maybe it was earlier next week. And it it's specific to LiveX, right? Which is mm. essentially the NASDAQ for the fine wine market and something that Three Pillar developed and provides the ability to trade with collectors and merchants worldwide and uh, multiple, uh, six continents, 35 countries, right? And in real time, uh, wine prices, the the opens up the really opens up the the wine uh, marketplace and helps also facilitate payment and logistics and and I'm not a wine connoisseur much like I'm not an uh, uh, economist but um, it fascinates <laughs> me right and so uh, so that's mm-hmm. one that that immediately comes to mind that was just uh, thinking outside the box and something that we that uh, that was developed in 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 specific I think the the way that it was explained to me it was the Nasdaq for the wine market. The other thing, as I think about, as I think about taking a step back as, as an industry as a whole, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't just call out the core banking and mobile apps, right? And mm. we've done some work with uh, as core banking. You can include insurance in there, and we've done some work certainly with Geico and others. But but um, I think about the capabilities that exist within the the palm of your hand, right? The the ability to check balances. Get um, get te- uh, details about specific transactions, transfer and money movement across accounts to other people to pay bills. You can deposit your check remotely. Uh, alerts, all these different types of things. Uh, the ability to open an account, and then you layer in some of the the security components, cybersecurity across biometrics and and face recognition, two factor authentication, and taking a step back, the effort to facilitate that those those activities and provide that capability within the palm of your hand or on your desktop uh, is almost beyond comprehension, right? The systems of record that, that need to be hit, the different platforms that are being touched, mm-hmm. integrations of on-off, on-off, off-off systems like maybe the bureaus. Uh, it's really a, it's really a tremendous uh, undertaking. And, you know, think about all the services folks uh, pay for today, right? Essentially, online mobile banking uh, is a, really a significant cost for the financial institutions, but it's a really a benefit of your your checking savings or, or, or you know your account, right? You may have yeah, to pay we don't we don't pay extra for the online right. features. So, um, yeah, yeah, and then if you take an additional step back and you look at the core capabilities uh, and innovation, it can really almost be found in every fintech app today. And so, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great question. Um, I think there's some absolutely some neat new technologies out there. Um, but I think if you take a step back and think of of, uh, uh, you know, what started it all to a certain extent, mobile banking is is, is awfully impressive uh, digital product for sure. I, and I, I personally, I love that example. I use my Bank of America mobile app as a great one of my favorite products. And partially because it's not, I didn't, I don't buy it. Um, I just have my money with Bank of America and then they give it to me. So it's not, is it a product? But of course it has to be intuitive. I have to trust it. Um, I mean, it's really funny. My, I, I always love to tell the story that my wife will, she doesn't trust the Bank of America app to deposit checks. Um, so she hands them to me <laughs> so, so that I can deposit them over and she knows I'm going to use the app. So right. she, but she'll, she's just like, you, you do that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I don't want to. Um, it's, it's your, well, it becomes your fault, Scott. If something goes well, wrong, that's what happens. Let's be honest. Right? That's yeah. Yeah. That's totally. Yes. But, 
but it, but it's just the psychology of it. But then you think about from a bank standpoint, like how many tellers you need, how long you're, you're you need to stay open, the number of of uh, branches you need, fundamentally change, and you see the rise of on, purely online banks um, that'll pay pay your ATM fees uh, to get to go through the Cyrus uh, network or or others. You know, it's 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 fascinating to see to see that innovation very much changing the beha- the the relationship between people who need banking and, and people who provide banking. Um, I love that I don't have to go to a branch. Uh, my grandmother, until she died, would never not go to the branch to do right. everything. She didn't trust the ATM machine. She didn't trust checks either. Uh, she would drop off cash at the utility. So just really interesting to see, you know, as we watch the, the, the intergenerational shift and the technology shift, I think you're right to call that out. The fundamentals of banking are changing and that's, that's uh, and the relationship between the customers and the banks um, are shifting because, and it's kind of mobile has really been the, a touchstone for a lot of that. You know, and I'll take it one step further, Scott. If you take a step back, and I, and as unfortunate as the pandemic uh, was, if you look at pre-pandemic, as a uh, uh, you know, again working with some of the larger banks in the digital space, it, you know, as I would say, even in the 2010 2012 timeframe. The digital organizations, virtual channels, or whatever they would call it back then, were aggressively going after uh, banking leadership to say, "Hey, look, look how great digital products, the digital product and channel is. Look at all the things that we can help you facilitate and and what have you." And and the reality of it is, although they put money into the infrastructure in support of it, it really was an afterthought. And then, as you got mm-hmm. into the pandemic, there was this shift. Uh, or at, least, at the very least, it accelerated the shift on both leadership within financial institutions, but also consumers and customers on, I have no other choice, right? I have right. to use the digital. Still have to um, bank. And they've, uh, it's like this aha moment, right? It's like, oh, wow, this mm-hmm. is great. What do you mean I don't ever have to walk into a bank again? And so, you know, kudos to the banks that, that they had the infrastructure to support that, that rather significant transition. And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of folks working behind the scenes, uh, you know, when many people weren't working during the pandemic, I would say, because that was one of them, the digital, the digital teams were work, working tirelessly to make sure that if they were, the, the, the systems were up and running to support the customer. Uh, the, customer. I mean, the, the shift in load must have been incredible. It was significant um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, and all the more reason to use things like cloud technologies, cloud infrastructure, um, having more elasticity in your uh, in your architecture, you know, uh, as the old joke goes, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, right? So, right. Um, you know, be future ready. Um, and, and financial services has struggled with that in some cases, but uh, uh, it seems to be getting stronger. So so on that note, and a, and a little bit of a, a change in focus, but customer centricity is something that, that we talk a lot about and hear a lot about as an enabler of innovation. Yeah, how can you really be delivering new value if you don't know your customers really well? And this is something that in, in financial services, it's not a strength necessarily. There's a lot of jargon. A lot of people complain about um, um, a lot of the offerings are opaque and difficult. It's hard to figure out who's getting paid, especially you know if we think about the investment side of, of financial services, right? And we've been hearing in the news quite a bit about one, one violator in particular has been paying a lot of fines for misleading customers and being uh, somewhat uh, uh, predatory in, in nature. And I realize we could do the we could do an entire episode just on this point, but I, I'm I'm curious in in a, in a shorter form. How do you think financial services can shift their thinking 
to be um, to think more about their customers and and how they serve them, and and not just about a, a, a someone to fleece for profit. Yeah, I hit a, hit a again another target. another really good question and a tricky one, right? Uh, uh, quite frankly, mm-hmm. I, I tend to think there's a, a bit of a misconception, right? That that there is certainly a good bit of news out there about the mistakes that have been made, right? And it, it, it does absolutely seem like there's a steady stream of those incidents, right? You you can t- mm-hmm. look at Zell, right? That was up in the con- congressional meetings uh, recently. There's a, um, a larger card issue dealing with some card classification uh, challenges that are that are charging uh, merchants pot- uh, uh, more than potentially they should. Fictitious accounts being opened online or even uh, through the phone or even in in, in branches. So. Um, and I have I'll make it clear: absolutely no patience uh, for those decisions that are made out of malice or greed, right? But I think if you look at it in context of the billions, almost trillions of transactions and intera- interactions that occur, um, it's really a finite subset, right? And it, it and, and it should absolutely should be getting the attention that it deserves. But if you break it out into two categories, right, that greed-based, fictitious stuff, and then the issues that are more tech and systematic in nature. And, and I think I'd probably mm. like to lean in, lean in there uh, a little bit because I, I am biased. Uh, I have worked for two larger financial institutions and organizations. I am empathetic and, and, you know, I've worked across multiple functions, some in sales and sales leadership incentives, and then the latter part of my career in, in the digital. And I can say, Scott, like wholeheartedly with sincerity, there is a tremendous amount of focus uh, on doing the right things for the customers. These mm-hmm. these organizations not uh, have very the best best intentions of their customers in mind. You can see that, and there's evidence in that in the way that they're beginning to organize and execute. You've never mm-hmm. heard roles like chief experience officer, um, chief uh, uh, or chief or head of innovation and design. These roles just didn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you, you look at it and, and had been part of developing strategies across personas. And customer journeys and experiences, there is an effort uh, to focus on the customer. And I'd say that the vast majority of folks, um, you know, 99% of them are going do, doing really good work uh, on behalf of the, of the customer. And so, um, you know, the things that are really kind of challenging, I think, you know, you know things are challenging and repeating the, their ability to really personalize or really have customer focus in mind. Would really, in my mind, is some of the backend systems in which, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's significant complexity. Delivering on the experience on the legacy platforms are, are really challenging, and there's mm-hmm. just a lot of moving pieces, right? You have line of business and strategy, risk, regulatory compliance, and those types of things um, that really make it difficult to deliver or change at the rate of some of the fintechs, and right. so um, uh, and that also can find its way into errors and mistakes, um, you know, because of a miskey, because of a, a, a coding update, because of, of something not done out of malice, right? Done right. out of just a pure error mistake. Just complexity. Or um, yeah. Could change, you know, could change a card uh, category that ultimately makes it, uh, makes it uh, a merchant being charged more for uh, the, uh, the processing of a specific card type. So yeah. I, I think it's important just to kind of recap. It's a little bit long-winded. But to recap, I think it's important to break the two out, malice uh, and greed versus the things that are just uh, technical in nature that are likely more impacted by the systems in which the experiences reside on and the intentions are good, 
Um, they're move, making move in progress at the higher levels of the organization to organize uh, around the customer. Yeah. Well, and but I, I, I'll link it back to a comment you made earlier about CFOs being you know, somewhat tight about uh, investment when, when the ships are down. You know, I do think that the, I mean, I, I think we probably both believe that the winners are going to have a strategy that transcends economic cycles um, and invest accordingly. Uh, make sure your fundamentals are sound. Uh, make sure you've got a strategy that isn't dependent um, purely on the the economic cycle, even though, of course, that's going to affect top and bottom line. But you, I mean, the future's coming, whether you whether you are, are investing or not. So it's it's definitely an interesting time to be in this sector, um, and I'm I'm excited about what Three Pillar can do to to help companies make that that investment be stay predictable, safe, secure, get the fundamentals right, but also take advantage of innovation. A lot of exciting opportunities there, and and you know, as, as you talked about, some of these older systems are ones that these companies fear. They fear touching them because of the complexity and the the risk involved, Absolutely. and we're actually working right now on our app modernization offering and talking a lot about how do we take someone on a journey through that app modernization that 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 builds momentum and and trust and um and and uh courage um as they go through trying to modernize these monolithic systems that they've relied on at the core of their businesses forever and ever so really interesting time i think for the industry and uh, and exciting uh, from from our perspective in terms of what we can do to help I would agree. Uh, Several years ago, there was never uh, even the talk of banks uh, taking, you know, going off prem and moving stuff into cloud-based technologies. Now they have multi-cloud strategies. And so uh, just to mm -hmm. piggyback off that, I think the time is right. Um, and I think everybody is, is uh, kind of on the same page that they have to make the investment and start now. So it's ex absolutely yeah. an exciting time. Yeah. And you do want to proceed with caution uh, because Absolutely. the risks are real. Um, there's no anyone who tells you differently is a snake oil salesman. So <laughs> um, with that and uh, and to wrap up, um, if you're OK with it, I'd love to take you through a quick speed round of questions. Uh, just a few questions we would like to ask. Uh, get your get your off the cuff um, answers. Absolutely. All right. Cryptocurrency, bull or bear? Uh, bear. <laughs> Although I'm intrigued, <laughs> I, I think PayPal just... Uh, announced a, a recent move to secure crypto by the U.S. dollar. I need to dig in that a little bit more. But mm, frankly, I'm a bit old school in thinking. Um, it's, uh, you know, in my mind, it's crypto really needs to be backed by by something. And, and you know, you could argue that our own dollar <laughs> isn't, uh, but that's an argument for another day. <laughs> well, I would I definitely like it when Congress pays its bills um, right. a lot better than I than I, I like the dollar better. So I understand you were a soccer caller, a so a soccer caller, soccer player in college, and you live in North Carolina. So I got to ask, did you did you go to Wrexham versus Chelsea? Uh, unfortunately, I did not. Um, and yes, I did play soccer in college. It was a long, long time ago. Um, but uh, what position? I didn't make it to the game, but I, I was able to make it out to a Charlotte FC game here uh, not not too long ago. What a great experience! Um, and it, quite frankly, it had been a while since. I've been uh, to a, a professional soccer game, um, and I remember growing up, you know, seeing uh, it's, it's really exciting time for soccer because I remember growing up seeing Pele uh, play for the Cosmos, mm. right? And oh, so wow. at the time, it was watching the best player ever, you know, to kick soccer ball. Uh, and now uh, this generation has the same opportunity uh, to see Messi play. And so, that's right. uh, you know, and by accounts, uh, he even supersedes uh, you know, uh, there's a Ronaldo Messi uh, argument, what have you, but uh, I, I'm, I'm all messy. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I with gotta you. be honest. 
Um, and no disrespect to Ronaldo, but I'm not at all, player. not at all. Amazing player, um, but I got to see but, Messi in person. So that's uh, fantastic. playing for, for Barcelona, you. which is amazing. Oh, wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. With my family right before the pandemic, no less, which was uh, definitely a highlight. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to see the MLS uh, coming up as a, as a destination for some really great players and get to see them. Uh, even if they're in the twilight of their careers, it's still, exactly. still exciting. They're still right. amazing players. Recommendations for required reading especially as it applies to innovation in financial services? Another good question. Uh, And frankly, a a shameless uh, plug uh, for the product mindset. In full transparency, uh, it was one of the key motivations for me joining 3Pillar. That and the people, it really helped my thinking, shift my thinking as it relates to digital product development. And and, uh, as I took the next step in my career, I felt that there was true value in the way that Three Pillar and, and the product mindset viewed digital product development, and it would be of significant benefits to uh, to the, the financial services industry. So that's that's certainly one. Uh, I'm reading currently reading uh, Amp It Up by uh, Frank Slutman, the uh, chairman of Snowflake. I started it a while back and then got sidetracked, so I'm restarting that. So that's less product. And then there's a uh, on deck is a, a book called Banks. And fintech on platform economies by uh, Paolo Soroni, uh, and it focuses on uh, banking as a service and a move, which I think is interesting. Move from business outputs into customer outcomes, and so I haven't started that yet, but it's on deck. Um, I'll I'll read it and uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you a book review maybe in our next. Yeah, time. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to make sure we get together next time you're in town and uh, and uh, and break that down. I'd love to hear more about that. I think. You know, platforms is, uh, I mean, I'm having more and more conversations with uh, prospects about platform strategies um, in their space. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's good for our customers. It's good for, good for these businesses um, and exciting opportunities, but uh, there are good ways to go about doing it. And there are less, less uh, mature ways of doing it. So we'd love to help, help clients on the, you know, mature their product development so they can take advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely. So that's, that's exciting. Very cool. Rob, thank you so much. I really love your insights on the industry. Um, It's not a place that we tend to think of rapid innovation, but geez, it's been uh, it's been an exciting last uh, 10 years, at least that we've seen a lot, a lot of movement in that sector um, and a lot of changes. So thanks for sharing with us. My pleasure and and look forward to uh, future conversations. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you. This has been an episode of the Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. 3Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about 3Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at 3PillarGlobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.